Say what's going on. Dr. Drill with the Making Motivation Podcast. And it is uh, August 2nd. It's a Monday. <clears throat> Just leaving the office now. Busy day. Bunch of paperwork that I needed to knock out. That my staff usually does. I was unable to... Uh, they didn't, I didn't have any staff today. Everyone's on vacation and... Even my fill-in's on vacation. So that's that's fine. I worked it out. Had a nice busy day. A couple new patients. A lot of good interactions. Even trained this morning. Prior to coming in, as you heard, me ranting and raving, raving about that. Knocked out a half hour of cardio, if that. But I got it in. As I said, was my goal from last week, remember? Got to hold me accountable, you understand that? Accountability is key. So, alright, got a couple topics to discuss. First of all, first patient of the day, she's brand new, very nice woman, she's of Polish descent, very kind. We hit it off immediately. She uh, uh, was talking about she was admiring the uh, the office. There was some, my my art and all the little collections of things that I have, and um, she had been referred in. And we talked about art, and we talked about inspiration, and she really said a lot of things that I agree with about the natural world, about nature, about um, you know enjoying the various shades of green, you know, spending time taking it all in and appreciating it and um, one thing she said that really made a lot of sense to me I never heard it put this way before she said that grandparents and grandchildren have a very strong connection because they're at a similar place in life and I think that that's true that makes a lot of sense If if you really ponder that for a moment You've got a child, very impressionable, and, you know, trying to learn, take in, understand the world like a sponge. And then you've got a grandparent who has had, um, you know, who's at the other end of the spectrum. So opposite ends of the spectrum, the extremes in age and experience, the child has no experience and is very young, just come into the world, right? And it's just learning and yearning and taking it all in where you've got the the senior citizen who is who's done so much and experienced so much and has a lot to share. But they're also kind of Oftentimes, losing some of the their um, their edge. So children, they have no edge yet. They're appreciating it. They're sharpening their blade. They're honing it. They're learning. Adults, elderly, 
They've learned, they've experienced, they've lived. And now they are starting to falter a little bit. Their anatomy and physiology, their physical and mental well-being is starting to come into question. They're slowing down. One is speeding up, the other is slowing down. And so she said that there's a unique thing, there's a unique bond, and that is, it makes sense given all I just said and more that you can appreciate, I guess. Doesn't that make sense? Hence the very strong connection between grandparent and grandchild. Whereas those of us who are in the middle of our lives, you know, we're working, we are busy, we are stressed, we are, uh, you know, really fiercely participating in this world. To such an extent, oftentimes, that we don't have, you know, we can't be present. We can't be, um, we're, we're done growing. We're kind of in the middle. We're, 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 we're trying, I mean, we're trying to grow. We're trying to realize our potential and meet all these expectations, not the least of which is, uh, you know, expectations of ourself. And we're also trying to, to keep our heads above water and support everybody. And meanwhile, the two extremes of life and of society, they begin and end. They're like the bookends, I guess. And we're like the, the prose, the text. One is beginning of their journey, the other is ending. And we're like we're somewhere right in the middle of that book. Take your finger and flip the pages until you find choose your spot. It's kind of where we're in the race. So I think you get my point. I had a really nice connection with this woman. I helped her out. I'll see her again uh, next week. Sweetheart. Can't meet enough people like that. Uh, And of course I had some great interactions with a couple people that are going to be listening to this podcast. So I appreciate what they have to say. And my time spent with them. Talked about a lot of different things. One friend I talked about. It was all good stuff. All positive stuff. So this evening I had a guy come in. Dude's, I like him. He's, he's probably 50 years old, something like that. He's a, he's a construction guy. Been his entire life. And we're talking about the pandemic. He was, he was, he goes, don't even get me talking about politics. He goes, I got to tell somebody. I'm going to let it all out. <laughs> So he wasn't too fiery about it, but one thing that really seemed to bother him was he was talking about um, all the people, like, who's, he said, who's going to pay for it all? And he's talking about the people who are receiving um, unemployment benefits and other handouts during this past year or so, and 
you know, how are you going to get them off the tee? You know, what are these people going to do when all of a sudden you turn off the spigot? And that's a good question. You know, and I, I told him my point of view and we discussed some of the same, same things I always talk about, which is, you know, you got different. I said, uh, my point was this. You've got people from different, um, have different experiences during this time, and it's been a big pressure cooker, and everybody's stressed, and everybody's taking it out on one another. And God forbid there was some sort of uh, human villain that would arise from all this. Some, uh, I don't know, the usual suspects, China, Iran, uh, Al-Qaeda, Whoever, some like supervillain, like on par with an Osama bin Laden, um, somebody that we could put our, our our sights on, somebody who we could grab and you know bring to justice or you know whatever that meant. Somebody who committed an atrocity or who who was like you know some human villain, we would fucking destroy them, and it would unify the entire nation. And it would be a good time right now. You know, I wouldn't put it past the leadership to pounce on the first obstacle that arose. um, That wasn't an invisible fucking infinitesimal fuzzball ubiquitous virus. (coughs) The guy was saying, well, you know, it's not really, you got to admit, it hasn't been as bad as people said, thought it would. And I said, well, that's, and that's a great thing. You know, it could have been a lot worse. This could have been the big one. This could have been... The Spanish flu, it could have been smallpox, it could have been something truly terrible. Um, and this killed 600,000 people in the United States, millions the world across, and it's not done yet. It could morph into something truly terrible, you know, that, that, that affects every age group. You know, right now it's like, oh, it's only affecting old people and really vulnerable people. One of the things, so we talked about that and we talked about, um, People, you know, that have been taking with unemployment and all that, and, and how what's going to happen. And I said, well, you know, you got a good point. People aren't going to like it. He goes, what do you think they're going to do when you think they're going to be nicer? You think they're going to be uh, more law-abiding when their um, unemployment benefits are are taken away? And he's got a good point. You know, people have had these handouts for however long, and they've taken. You know, many of them have deserved some support. I, I've shared that I was on um, unemployment for a short time period while my office was closed. Shared that I took some loans, uh, these uh, PPP loans, which were meant to help pay uh, rent and and staff to keep staff employed. Uh, I used them and I used them properly, and I needed them and I took advantage of them, and and they're going to be. Fortunately, they're going to be forgivable. So a lot of people got free money, free support in various ways, and, they, and, and it was well needed and it was appreciated. Yes, there's a percentage of the population that took advantage and didn't look for work or is just, you know, thinks they're going to get this for the rest of their lives. And, you know, they're going to be pissed when it gets taken away. I understand that point of view. On the virus, so this guy's a contractor, and he said he didn't miss any work. He was out there during, you know, for the duration. His sons were out there for the duration. Both of them are in construction as well. And 
you know, hardworking guys and all that stuff. And we talked about the difference between them, you know, the uh, tradesmen or somebody who's a, who was a first responder or who was um, who were employed throughout and just didn't miss a beat. You know, they kept working. That's a noble thing to do. It's a noble way to be. Some people had that reality out of necessity. Some people had it out of choice. Um, it's a unique perspective that it sets up. Right? People that are out there, you know, a freaking construction worker or a cop or whatever, they just, they're working. They have a different experience than somebody who, you know, sits in a cubicle and, you know, does a different type of work and, you know, couldn't go, you know, either lost their job or couldn't, um, chose not to go back or whatever the fuck it was. Um, different experience. And he said there's indoor dogs and outdoor dogs. That was his rationale for the people who had gotten sick from the coronavirus. And not a very sophisticated point of view, but one that I appreciate nonetheless. I've shared that I, you know, as a former Marine, as a piney, as a uh, nature enthusiast, I have always felt and believed, and I think there's science to back up the reality that um, healthy kids don't get sick. You know, dirty kids don't get sick, rather. Um, people are out and about or hiking um, or out, you know, living in the world. You know, you said plumbers. How many plumbers do you know that get sick all the time? Right? <laughs> They're always dealing with shit. They're dealing with disgusting substances and dirty conditions. And, um, you know, some of that might kill them someday, but it's probably not going to be due to, a, you know, a bacteria or something like that, right? And it's because they have exposure, constant exposure to the world in which we live. And even the most disgusting aspects of it, um, not to say they could drink sewage and, and survive it, but they have enough of these exposures on a daily and weekly basis that they are kind of inoculated against critters. These people aren't getting sick. This guy said he never gets sick. Um, never had a cold, never had nothing. And maybe that's just, is that coincidence or is this guy, is there something to this? He says, they're indoor dogs and outdoor dogs. Outdoor, indoor dogs, they're not going, if they go out, they're going to get sick, they're going to get killed, they're going to get whatever. They're not gritty, they're not, uh, um, they're not hardy against the elements. They're going to fucking die. It's in a chihuahua out in a fucking, you know, out in the, in the world. It's going to get eaten by something. It's not going to survive. It's not going to be able to handle it. You send a husky or, a, you know, another, you know, an outdoor dog. It's nothing. They're out in the heat all the time. They're out in the cold all the time. They'll sleep on the ground. You know, they... they so we can adapt. There are mechanisms that are going to bolster our immune systems. And I do agree with that to, to a degree. Now, 
this is, again, very unsophisticated, so it doesn't address all the other issues and criteria that exist. That, uh, you know, there are vulnerable populations, there are people who are younger, who are older, who have uh, conditions that are going to put them at particular risk to these sort of critters. And I, I said, you know, ultimately, my point of view is that we need empathy. We need people, we need Americans, and we need humans to try to understand where other people are coming from. You know, this is obviously, I said, listen, man, this is your point of view. You are a construction guy. You are almost a 60-year-old man. You work every day of your adult life, you know, doing concrete and banging nails and, you know, pulling wheelbarrows. You've put your time in. Now his his back's all fucked up, so that's where I come in. So there's a vulnerability, after all, um, even though it's a musculoskeletal one. But it was an interesting conversation, and I understand what he's talking about. I understand his point of view with the um, unemployment benefits. I understand, you know, that this money's got to be paid back from somewhere. It's going to wind up in taxes and inflation. Guy also said that there's no sand shortage because all the sand it comes from New Jersey, <laughs> which I knew because we used to ride dirt bikes and play and shoot guns and stuff in these sand pits in New Jersey, holes they dig in the ground, and we go tear them up with our dirt bikes and get chased around by um, you know you name it cops and dump trucks and so on and so forth. So I know that, and again, I talked to the other day about the shore, you know, quartzite and the earth's crust and on the east coast and uh, yeah, New Jersey is primarily sand. So you dig a big fucking hole, you pull out, you dump trucks and dump trucks of, of sand and gravel and you use that in your concrete and your building materials and everything else. And so, I'm sure that it's it's you know, this is the quintessential example or um, how there's holes in, in his logic because I believe that there's probably some truth to the reality that in parts of the world there are scarcities of various things. Um, or is there a reason why oil prices spike? Um, what drives that? What drives the price of lumber and construction? Now, he doesn't get it. He goes out there and he sees a train with all these cargo um, cars, and it's full of lumber. He's saying there's no lumber shortage. There's no con- there's no sand shortage. There's no you know there's no oil shortage. So why are our prices going up? And I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how economics works, and all the and a failing to. Um, account for all of the aspects, all of the elements that will play in, into and contribute to these problems. And he said, you know, if we have an oil shortage, if we have a fuel issue, why do we shut down this this pipeline, right? So the reality is, and of course he's pissed about that, he goes, all these people are out of work, which I understand that. If we do have a shortage, and maybe those people could have worked overtime to um, to keep our, our fuel up and reasonable, 
and then we wouldn't have increase in prices. So many things go into the price of, of goods and services. It's, it's really interesting and it's also very complex uh, beyond what, you know, that which I can um, discern. I don't know. I don't know how to really what's going on, you know. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I just, I sense that it's a lot more complex than what this guy is, you know, is saying. I think that it's, um, there's a lot that has to be factored into it, and it's beyond the, the understanding of your average Joe. That's what I believe. Um, does that make sense? Another friend was talking to me about, uh, you know, a local school district and how they're, they're so they're not going to have, um, they're going to make masks up to the individual, up to the family. They're also not going to be reporting um, COVID cases as they they had in the school district. For instance, every week or every other week, there was like, hey, you know, I just let you know. And, in this particular school, there was a positive case, and uh, that person has been told to quarantine, and uh, they have to get a negative test before they come in after this number of days, and everybody else that sat in there, you know, in the vicinity was has also been quarantined, and I mean, like, they had that, the school district had that responsibility to, um, to kind of regulate everything and make sure that everybody was cool. My friend was under the impression that they were not going to do that in a nearby school district. They were not going to report every case and how it was handled. And I guess the rationale was, you know, if somebody gets a cold or somebody gets a, you know, another type of infection. Do you tell everybody? Of course, this is not a common cold. This is a potentially dangerous, deadly virus that. Now, but it's really freaking zany, really getting zany out there. I will stick with my um, my assertion that we need to really try to find common ground, or we need to find a mutual enemy, one that we can, you know, put our hands around their neck or something like that, or shoot a missile their way. That's probably, I and mean, that's a, a quite a plausible way that this could end, right? Um, something like this is so volatile and the back and forth is so fiery that this could wind up being a war, you know. It's nuts. But um, anyway, I, I enjoy speaking to different people. I appreciate everything that's put in front of me. Um, anything this guy said, um, this working class hero, had to say, it didn't sound completely unreasonable. I think he's got some good points. Um, I think that we need to really start dealing, all the better reason for us to really start dealing in facts exclusively. Like all the speculation and all the, the back and forth and the, and the partisan um, arguing over things is going to get us killed. Not by the virus, probably by our, our own hands. So everybody, cooler heads prevail. Be kind to one another. 
try to be reasonable, try to understand where other people are coming from. Huh! <laughs>